Well, hello again, everyone. Um, welcome back to Brunch with Brent. Um, I am lucky to be joined today uh, by Angela Fisher. Hi, Angela. Hello. For those of you who haven't run into Angela yet, she's kind of the superhero of the back end of Jupiter Broadcasting. Um, her official title now, ex- Executive Producer at Linux Academy. Um, and of course, she's been involved from the very start. So uh, I have been lucky, Angela, to uh, meet you in person uh, many times. We got to see each other for the first time or meet each other for the first time at uh, Linux Fest Northwest two years ago, uh, which was super mem- memorable for me. Um, and we also got to see each other this year at Linux Fest Northwest and the JB Sprint, which was super fun. You led a whole lot of adventures on that sprint. Uh, and so I guess one of my first questions is, how do you seem to know all the cool places in the Pacific Northwest? You you kind of guided us to a bunch of really great places. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I have three kids and I have been a stay-at-home slash work-at-home mom basically the entire existence of Jupiter Broadcasting. <laughs> and so I am constantly looking for new and fun things to do. Right. So it's the adventure that kind of gets you out there. Yep. And try new things. And it's it's come in like stages. So first it was just local parks, you know, in, in the city that we live in. And then it was, oh, I could travel a little further, you know, as they outgrow their naps and stuff. And then it went to like, as as they're able to walk further, it's okay, we're going to go on this trail, you know, and it's not as boring because, you know, they they appreciate nature in a different way and um, enjoy like for example, the ice caves, getting to the top with the ice caves is really cool. And so it's worth the the hike up there, even though it's it's not that big of a hike. It's like 200 feet. But um, it's just kind of uh, morphed over time. Well, that sounds obvious now. But I mean, to someone who might not have kids like myself, um, of, of course, that doesn't come to mind first. But you... Um, I imagine now are quite the expert mom, um, and and definitely seem so um, with with what I've seen. And uh, but it was it was really interesting to watch, uh, especially with the ice caves as well during the the Jupiter Broadcasting Sprint, which um, we do have a blog post about that that you can check out. Alex took some pretty cool shots. Um, but what was interesting to me was to watch the adults become kids as well. Right, there was this real joy about seeing some of these sites and. Um, made everyone excited about nature and about um, some cool, cool sites too. So um, do you still get excited about the local stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, this year or this, like during the sprint, I actually invested in a discover pass. <laughs> actually, instead of just doing the day pass, uh, I went to the ice caves, I think three or four times this summer. And it just makes sense to not pay for a daily pass each time and just get a, a year long and now I can go to to do other things. Like this last weekend, I went up into Snohomish um, to shoot guns. So, and I need my Discover Pass for that. Tell me a little bit about that experience. It was my second time. The first time I went to an indoor range just to get a general feel and understand some of the basics of handling a gun, holding a gun, shooting a gun. And then uh, what what is it called? Uh, the unknown rules, you know, uh, etiquette. There we go gun etiquette and when there's other people next to you and things like that. Just really good basics. That was about a month ago. And I really wanted to try an outdoor range. And so there is one. It's actually over by my family's cabin, like not that far from there. And 
And that's, it was really cool. I got to set up targets and I'm actually a pretty good shot, which is exciting for me. I've always felt that I had a good eyesight, you know, vision. Well, it's just like hand-eye coordination that goes with it as well, right? Yeah. But unfortunately, I ended up taking out the frames of the targets, like just shot right through the metal frames. Oops. (laughs) That's funny. One of them is completely unintentional because it was... I was doing a shorter range target and I took out the long range target that I couldn't even see while I was aiming for the short range target. Interesting. Yeah. It was with a rifle. So it just, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, wow, I got two targets in one. Do you know what, um, what kind of rifle you were using for those who are interested? I don't, I don't, I'm still very new. I mean, it sounds like you're a month new, which is pretty darn new, right? Yeah. Yeah. And just, yeah, just two times, but I've done like, um, a pistol and a, I think a semi-automatic and I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah. There's, there's, I, I don't know. It's, there's so many terms like being around Chris, you know, more than half my life. I, I know I picked up on a lot of technology terms and guns have like a whole nother, like set of terms. It's like technology, but a whole different kind, right? I, I know it a little bit because uh, my family has done hunting uh, for most of my life. So I've been around it a little bit, but um, but the environment sounds a little bit different in, in the United States, especially if you're in populated areas. Um, up here, we're lucky enough that it's quite isolated. Um, but you're right. There's this etiquette that's really good to learn even before you pick up anything. Um, and learning from other people as well is super valuable. Um, but tell me a little bit about what the motivation is. Like what, what got you sort of hooked or attached to it or interested in the first place? I really like shooting metal objects. <laughs> I like hearing that ting. <laughs> sound, eh? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's great. Like, yeah, I hit that. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but no, just something to do, you know, just uh, something new to try. And I I have seen a women's self-defense class uh, uh, put out by another shooting range near me. It's actually right by the studio. But every time I go to RSVP to it, it, it's already full. That's actually a good sign, right? Like that means there's a lot of interest and there's value there. Yeah. So uh, I'm just doing some baby steps and and then I'll probably, as I do, I'll get more resources and find a place that doesn't you know, fill up right away. That's probably going to be useful too, because you can actually show up with a little bit of knowledge. And so um, your learning is probably accelerated that way. Um, do you find that learning new things is like something that's a necessity for you? Oh yeah. 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 I, I am a personality type that, that needs to learn something new, build upon something I already know. Uh, life is never boring for me. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some other things that you've found, uh, you know, you threw yourself into and you found kind of challenging or exciting? Yeah. I have three kids. Oh, that's one thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate challenge, right? Well, so they're all um, twice exceptional, which means that they are gifted intellectually, but have something that prevents them from learning. They have learning challenges, and it's it's a it's a it's a variety, and that I mean, it basically feels like another full time job that I have because um, you know I'm I am their biggest advocate. And I make sure that they get what they need in order to learn. Which is varied, right? So it, it's 
probably, I would imagine, not necessarily the same for each of them. It's it's unique. It's very different. You know, it's I, I'll just briefly cover a couple of things. We've got speech dyslexia, ADHD, Tourette syndrome, auditory processing disorder. Those are the primary things. So it's it's kind of all over the place. But I have a lot of. I think I've bought maybe twenty six books this year. Wow. To cover the topics, you know, <laughs> and how to best support their success. And and so it's, I am sort of a walking library at this point. Well, what an amazing gift to them that you're, that you have the time and the energy and the motivation to dedicate to learning what's best for them, right? I would imagine that's making in like really important impacts in their, in their lives, whether they realize it or not, right? Absolutely. Well, and you can't, read about the challenges that your kids are having without finding ways to improve yourself too. Is it like you've learned things about yourself through this process? Absolutely. I mean, my, and even though, you know, my parenting style, um, I, I'm a yes mom, you know, I will default to yes and not immediately say no. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's a perspective of like, yeah, sure. You shouldn't climb up the slide. But is it really hurting anybody? No. You know, just yes. Yes, you can climb up the slide. You know, not being a helicopter parent per se, but not endangering their safety. But it it applies to a lot of different things. So uh, one of the things that I shifted as I learned more about, like, Tourette syndrome is more patience. I need to be more patient. There's, there is a lack of control with that particular um, challenge. And so I learned a lot more patience. In fact, I think patience is probably the biggest one across all of them, <laughs> because even with the auditory processing disorder, like a lot of people would confuse that with a child not listening. You know, oh, well, they're just selectively hearing. Well, no, no, actually their brain isn't processing the sounds properly, <laughs> you know? So unless you're sort of educated about the topic, you may misrepresent it or misdiagnose it or miss even like react to it, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. So for example, before I knew about the auditory processing disorder, if what I said wasn't heard, I would rephrase it, which is logical. Like, okay, that didn't work, so I'll try this. No. The auditory processing gal was like, no, you're giving her a whole new sentence to decode. Repeat exactly what you said. Oh, so it's actually making it worse. Right. Well, not worse per se, but yeah, it's a whole nother thing for her to try to understand and decode. And it's just going to make both parties frustrated because, yeah. So if you repeat the same sentence, then the things that she, that were understood the first time are still understood. And then she can focus on what she didn't hear. And decode that properly. So, oh, so that's almost like the opposite approach. Even I know it's not logical. It's it's counterintuitive, <laughs> and you know, I I do pride myself on being fairly intuitive, but I failed on that one, and I was um I was glad to have a, a professional help me with that. So you mentioned that patience was something that you've had to learn throughout this process. Um, I've been told often that it's something that I have naturally, but tell me about the process of like building that up for yourself. Cause it doesn't seem like a really obvious skill to learn, like something that's more straightforward. 
I would I think I would have to credit other sources for teaching me to not react immediately and to be more thoughtful and to listen more. Um, it all kind of comes together. Um, about hmm, a year and a half ago, I began attending Al-Anon because I have family members that are alcoholics and uh, was raised in an alcoholic family. And Al-Anon is when I first sort of, um, it's it's just, it's such an amazing support system. So it has really gotten me to evaluate what's mine to own, what's somebody else's to own, how involved I should be in certain things. And it really applies to all aspects of my life, um, including, you know, like accepting people for who they are. Not that I, not that I had a problem with that before, but, you know, accepting that some of the behavior of my children is who is, it's one of their challenges and it's who they are and I can work with it. I don't have to try to squash it or like apply any of the older type methods of, you know, children should be seen, not heard, you know, those types of things. So, mm-hmm, which are antiquated really. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't want to imply that I, you know, don't have boundaries and rules that I'm, you know, I'm not raising a generation now child uh, or children. It, like I'm not, I'm not contributing to the problem of the youth. <laughs> I I actually do have bound, lots of boundaries and rules and I am creating some great human beings that are going to be amazing for this world. So just always evaluating and always thinking, I think is, is what contributes to better patients. You mentioned Al-Anon. I'm not quite familiar with that. Can you give me a, a bit of a sense of what it is? Yeah. So AA, a lot of people know, is Alcoholics Anonymous. But Al-Anon is a family group set up for the members of the family that have the alcoholic in their life. I see. So it's the greater support system. It is. And what's what a lot of people don't know is when you go to Al-Anon, the goal is not to talk about the alcoholic at all. You're not there to talk about the alcoholic. You're there to talk about you and you know the impact that the alcoholic has had on your life. Because when you're around somebody that has this issue um, or disease, as they prefer to call it, it affects you. It changes who you are. Yeah. How could it not, right? Right. Exactly. You start, you know, trying to make excuses for that, uh, for that family member or whatever, or, um, try to cover up or remove them from situations, prevent situations from ha- you like massive control. You try to have way too much control. Um, and then another big aspect of it is codependence, which if, if you take that word and you break it down, it sounds like, um, like you rely on that person and it's not, it's not like that. It's not easily breakdownable like that. It's, it's, it's forgetting about your own needs and doing things for everyone else. And so that is something that I believe I learned growing up in an alcoholic family. I learned to be very codependent and, um, it wasn't until about 2014 that I started really working on that and, and getting out of that. And then Al-Anon over this last year and a half has helped like put some finishing touches on it. And it's, it's amazing um, how rewarding it can be to understand that, you know, the way that I interpreted situations in the past 
was part of the disease. It affected me my entire life, even though I had no idea. You know, I think it's easy to not expect um, sort of the third parties around someone like that to be equally affected. But clearly, you've had some experience and have sensed um, some challenges there. And and I'm I'm really amazed how you're spending time in this support system, it sounds like has taught you some things that you never even realized that you would gain there. Right. And it's right back to what you suggested is I like to learn. I, I continue to build. I continue to work on myself. And Al-Anon is one of those things that I can't not go to. <laughs> Double negative there. I have to go. It's part of my self-care, uh, which is another thing that I learned through um, healing from codependence is I do have to take time for myself, which segues into one of my favorite things that I like to do, which is painting rocks. Painting rocks. <laughs> tell, tell me more. Is this a childhood thing or is it? Uh... No, I think it was back in 2015. I found a rock at a park that I would walk regularly and it, and it said, it had this phrase on it. It said, you can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. And it was so funny to just be there at this park. And it's something that my dad would always say when I was growing up. And, and on the back of the rock, it said, you know, uh, keep or rehide and then hashtag Everett rocks on Facebook. And so I went there and at that time, I think there were like 600 people in the group and now it's at 4,500. Um, Whoa. Yeah, it's, it's, it's explosive and there's all sorts of rock groups, but basically I started painting rocks and I, I really enjoy it. And I, um, I hide those rocks at local parks for kids to find. So tell me about some of the things that you paint on the rocks. Are they always sayings and phrases that you would like to communicate to others or is it just art artistic style tell me a little bit about that yeah no i wish i liked my handwriting more um but i am you I can am, hire someone <laughs> no hire somebody to no no part of this this is one of my creative outlets right yeah and i i'm not a fan of my handwriting but i would love to do more quote rocks um i do more i've done like really great homer simpson rocks i've done i'd like to do silhouettes silhouettes of of anything, people, pets, uh, plants, flowers. I don't know. I hadn't actually like fully thought about how to describe what I paint, but I really, I really enjoy it. I enjoy making a collage of the work in progress. I do most of it freehand. Um, there's a couple times where I've done like some tracing just because it was, uh, intricate, but that's rare. Um, it's, it's just something that I enjoy. And I like, I like when people find my rocks and, and post, you know, like, oh my gosh, I found this rock. It's very rewarding. Yeah. It's just a little gift to the world, right? Yeah. Even if it doesn't get posted, I still know that somebody really liked it. And for anybody listening that thinks they want to do it and think they're not good, kids love finding paint, painted rocks. Like my kids would hold on to what, you know, Another six-year-old had painted on a rock, which wasn't very, you know, I don't want to say it wasn't very great, but it was great for a six-year-old. Um, and my kids love it. It's like their favorite rock more than like a more professional type looking one. So it really, um, it's really a great, great thing. And it gets you out in nature. Um, just don't leave them at national parks. They'll throw them away. 
Oh, really? Yeah, really. That's too bad. Because yeah. it feels like, well, I suppose maybe it's a little bit off of their mandate, but it feels like these little like notes of like, hey, I was here and I want to connect with you, even though we've never met, but there's this little trace of me and you might make it a trace of you, right? That sounds really sweet. Yep. But national forests are meant to observe nature, not things put there by man. Mm, fair enough. So you have to leave them at the entrance. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that process. Like, do you take a rock from a specific area, take it home, um, create your creation and then bring it back? Or do you tend to do it in place? So that's, that's also against the law. <laughs> you can't, you can't. Taking a rock. Absolutely. Yes. Um, obviously check your local laws, right? I'm only referring to Washington because that's where I do it. But no, I actually buy the rocks, either Amazon, um, sometimes the dollar store has some good ones. There's a nursery nearby that has some good rocks. And then I actually took out my front yard because I had like, it was like eight feet by 20 feet of grass, which is really stupid to mow. I had that taken out and just replaced it with giant rocks. So I have like a lifetime supply of rocks I can paint now. Nice. It's self-serving, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. Um, I love that little like gift to other strangers. Um, I feel like um, there are some geocaches, right? I don't know if you've ever done any geocaching. Um, I have done like about a sliver of it. And, And actually, are you aware of what that is? Yeah, I'm familiar with geocaching. I've never done it, though. Okay. So it sounds, I mean, it's a bit more technical in that typically you get a GPS signal or something, right? Or a GPS uh, marker to try to find a little cache. The similarity to me is that um, you're putting a little something there specifically for someone you've never met to find. Uh, And I think that's a real like selfless gift. And um, like, I'm, I've got this massive smile on my face now, just thinking of the joy of finding something like this um because there's like i don't know there's something nice about knowing that someone out there in the world is thinking of you not you specifically but just of the possibility of someone like you coming across something they've created and i imagine that gives you great joy even if you don't realize that you know even if you don't get that photo on on the on the facebook uh, group um i sent you a link actually if you want to look through a couple Oh, nice. I do like to, it's, it's hashtag ADF rocks on Instagram. Not all of them are there and other people use hashtag ADF rocks for other things too. But if you just scroll down, you can see some of the rocks that I do. Um, I've done a couple SpongeBob, which is fun. I do like to paint rocks specifically for people as well. Tell me more about that. Like, is there always a certain someone in mind or is it just random people that you may have met recently just to tell them you're, you're thinking of them or, um, back in May, 2017, I made a rainbow rock with a silhouette of a baby, which represents a rainbow baby, which is a baby born after a, the loss of a baby, either through a miscarriage or, or other, and um, so I made that rock and I immediately put it up and said, does anybody have someone that they can gift this to that's having a rainbow baby? And somebody spoke up and I was able to get it to her. And then this gal put it on the bed where the pregnant woman was sleeping 
and she woke up to that rock, which was really cool. That's an amazing story. Yeah, so there's a stranger uh, version of painting a rock for somebody. And then I painted a, an elephant for one of my friends, and I, I shared it with the Everett Rocks group, and, and then suddenly... Everybody wanted it. And I've one of the things that I was trying that just didn't didn't appeal to me, I didn't want to ever repeat a rock. Like there's so many things. There's so many things that I could paint. Why would I ever repeat? But due to demand on that, I made four different versions of that rock and gifted them to a variety of people. Two were strangers and two were friends. So um I also made one for the blood bank which, uh, cause I, I, I've been donating blood each year. Unfortunately, I had to take a pass this year because I was iron deficient anemic for a little while. Um, but now I'm better, but I'm not, I'm not sure I can actually donate just yet. But the rock says, apparently when you donate blood, it has to be your blood. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. I still haven't, but I'm going to bring that to the blood clinic so that they can have it there. Cause I know that they'll get a chuckle out of that. That's so cool. Yeah. So it sounds like, um, well, it's, it's a, it's a universal truth, right? Which is that art, um, can apply to all of life mm -hmm. and creating it gives you joy and taking it in gives you joy. Um, one of the things I, I appreciate the most about going to a new city, for example, is, is going to a gallery you've never been to or seeing artwork strewn around a farmer's market or, um, or some, there's a, like an alley I came across one time that was just like a pop-up artists, um, a bunch of vendors. And so I could see why finding one of your creations sort of among nature would be a real gift. Um, because you, a, you don't expect it. B it's, it looks pretty cool. Like I'm seeing some SpongeBob rocks here. I'm seeing some sloth rocks drinking wine and um, all sorts of different like nature scenes and stuff. Right. So it feels like they're beautiful and yet they're also like in a place you didn't expect. So I could see why that would be really cool. How was the, the sprint for you this year? The sprint was great. Um, I, it was so awesome having the whole team in person. Like I have tried to accomplish that through Linux Fest Northwest, but every year never fail one, one or two of the people, uh, that are involved in the success of the network were not able to come. And so it was really cool to all work for a common purpose, um, which in this case was the launch of self-hosted and just tackle so many other little projects and things in the meantime. Yeah, it was so cool. I, I was, I was, I would say privileged to be involved in that. And it was so cool to watch sort of the brainstorming sessions that would happen um, just kind of unplanned, right? There was so many ideas moving back and forth and um, new show ideas. I mean, this Brunch with Brent came out of that actually. Uh, and um, it was, I think, yeah, you, you nailed it. It was a real treat to have everybody in the same place. Um, and I didn't realize that that was the very first time that that uh, happened. So that must have been pretty exciting for you. Yeah. I mean, we've gotten together for conferences and fests, but never a work party or well, not party. I mean, party as in work, but, you know, like just not focused on, you know, a project like that. You know, it's just for mm -hmm. the conference and we're all kind of doing our own thing, going to talks or talking to people or being on air. Not so concentrated, right? Yeah. But yeah, no, I had, I had ideas for certain 
future projects with Linux Academy. And while talking with Chris on the ferry, I'm like, you know what we need is kind of like a laid back radio type interview show and, and, you know, gave a couple supporting reasons. And then he's like, you know, who's really good at interviewing? I'm like, who? And he's like, (laughs) Brent. And I'm like, let's go talk to him. (laughs) Really? Um, Yep. You've got me blushing on this side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because from my perspective, you guys just both kind of walked up to me and said, all right, sit down. We got something to talk about. Um, But tell me a little bit more, like, why, why me, really? Because I hadn't really done that um, on air or anything. Um, But it, I think, from my perspective, has turned out really great to have that opportunity. But tell me a little bit about more about the idea. We want to incorporate a lot of different talent and have a streamline for it as opposed to trying to fit them into shows where they maybe don't fit, right? So creating a like um, a show where it's extra content as well as, you know, these are people in the community and this is how you can know them better. That That is the goal. And we hadn't, we were literally on the ferry. We hadn't docked yet and ate lunch. But then at lunch, you said that one of your goals is within the first couple minutes to be very, to help the other person feel really comfortable with you. Like that, like you're their friend and, and you are successful. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It's a skill I learned through photography, actually. Um, Cause as, as you might imagine through photography, um, I always say one of the most important things about being a photographer is actually being able to become friends with someone in five minutes. Um, Because unless you do that, um, the photograph, same as a conversation, um, doesn't have the authenticity that you're looking for. And so I kind of blame photography for a lot of the life skills that I've gained. So kudos to you for picking up on that. Yeah, no, it is great. And then you also just, you have a way of picking out questions to further the conversation, whether it's an area that you're familiar with or not. And that is a that is a key component as well of a successful interview, you know, long format interview type show. I blame that on my voracious curiosity in all in all in all subjects, whether I know anything that I'm talking about or not. <laughs> so yeah, I would say as a bit of transparency, like this whole experiment has been really fun for me because it's an excuse to talk to people either that I know, but about topics that we don't necessarily get into. Um which which happen to tend to be topics that are um, sort of tech related and yet would be re- generally really interesting to people who are involved in tech, even if they're not experts in it. Uh, I think that was, you know, for instance, the, the um, episode with Wes was sort of like that. We hardly even talked about technology, um, but all the aspects that are just shouldering with it, you know, and uh, so it's been a real treat for me to connect with all of you really and to continue to be connecting with some really great people to have just some fun discussions really. So I would say thank you for the opportunity, the idea, and just like kickstarting this whole adventure. It's been really fun. Well, it was one of the unforeseen great results of the sprint yeah and self-hosted was a big part of that as well um i think that was more part of the plan right yes which was uh even amazing for someone like me to just sit back and watch that process happen you know to watch a show evolve behind the scenes um unfortunately not everybody gets that 
um, that, that taste of it. But I think we did get little nuggets of it uh, that got aired, which is really fun. I think there's three or four extras that cover, like there's a production meeting and then there's the story behind and then uh, behind self-hosted and then one other one. I can't remember, but yeah, check out the extras feed for more self-hosted. Yeah, I I really love the concept of the extras feed as well. Mm-hmm. To just kind of collect all these little nuggets that maybe don't fit like you were saying, but are still really valuable to the community. And for the most part, evergreen. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. So like anybody, you know, whether they've listened to JB for you know seven years or three months, they can pick up on this and learn about everybody <laughs> on the team and and then a variety of you know how things came to be because people really liked the nostalgic part of things like how did that happen you know and so to record it as it's happening or you know living or so fresh in our memory is is just a really cool thing to be able to give to the audience yeah kind of a treat for sure um, one question I'm curious about, cause, um, your kids got to join us on that ferry and they got to join us for a big part of the sprint. Um, but I was curious to watch, uh, how they interacted with technology. And, uh, you mentioned an, I think it's an app or something that you use to manage, um, their relationship with tech. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I use an Eero, which is E-E-R-O for our internet and, I, it allows you to create a family profile where you can determine between which hours certain devices can access the internet. And so I actually have it shut off. Um, I have a kid's profile and I have it shut off at certain times so that they're not on their iPads after, when they're supposed to be sleeping. Or I recently, well, last week, had to shut off the internet until they go to school which means basically until they get back from school, uh, because they weren't getting out the door on time. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I ended up turning off the internet because the house needed cleaned. And uh, my littlest was not happy about that. But it's kind of that joke where, you know, if you want something done, turn off the Wi-Fi and basically you've called a family meeting. There's nothing else to do but talk, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like you and I and those are, you know, our age and, and a little bit older are so lucky to have lived in both worlds in the yeah. sort of connected all the time world that we are in today, but also in that world where you had to sort of rely on your own imagination and your friend's imagination and connecting with people in real time. Um, have you seen a shift in that for you? And, and obviously you're, you're raising some kids in this new world. And is that a challenge? I am having a clash of, of what I had to grow up with versus what they have to grow up or get to grow up with, I guess. It's more of an opportunity these days. than So Dylan um, had a girlfriend for like a couple of days, which is the extent of name only. That's my girlfriend. That's it. And he had a FaceTime with her and that is new. And I'm, I'm all sorts of, I don't even know about this. Like this is the first introduction of this concept that hit my brain. And I feel like just that I'm trying to wrap my head around what that means. I know. <laughs> Cause he's not that old really. He's 10. And, and you know what I tell him? <laughs> I said, dude, <laughs> cause I call him dude. I'm like, I have never raised a 10 year old before. So 
we just both need to be patient. <laughs> ah, that's a nice perspective. Yeah. By the time, you know, Abby or Bella get around to this, I'll, I'll have done it once and, you know, not fail so miserably in some cases or in some aspects of it. But um, yeah, so Abby is eight and she's asking for a phone like every day. I want a phone, mom. Is it because of peer pressure? It's sort of, uh, it's, it's not peer pressure per se, but it's by viewing what peers are, have or are doing. Yeah. Okay. But, um, I have been thinking about getting a house line again. Whoa. I've never heard anyone say that before. (laughs) Well, it makes some sense because I don't, I don't, I don't want them bringing a phone to school. It's going to get taken away. They're going to, you know, let other people on it. And there's just, there's so many, so many things that are out of even my child's control. If they bring a, a, a device like that to mm-hmm. school, mm-hmm. Um, not to mention they, they're not exactly cheap. <laughs> so I, uh, but on the other hand, I would love for them to be able to contact me or say, you know, mom, I'm feeling bad or, or sick or whatever, but they're technically not supposed to during school anyway. So I think still while they're in elementary school, a, a phone is not a good idea. But uh, I think a house phone, you know, because then they then they get the whole sibling fighting over, you know, but so-and-so is going to call me at this time. And <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, you guys have to battle out the phone. And That's like a staple of our uh, childhoods. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I had corded phones and my mom chose to live where there's no cell reception and still lives there and still doesn't have cell reception. So, oh, really? Eh? Cool. Yeah. So when Chris and I needed to be in contact, but somebody was on the internet, so we couldn't be on the phone, um, he would page me because <laughs> I had a pager. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I have, yeah, it's just, it's, it's horrible. So I was thinking a phone might be a good, a house phone. I, I hate, I would hate, I, I don't know. I'm torn. Sounds like it might solve a a bunch of problems all at once, right? It could. It could. And then there'd always be a a phone here if they needed anything. Although we just, you know, we use FaceTime. So I don't know. A new experiment, perhaps. Hopefully you can find a way to do it where you don't have to commit to it for too long and then see if it works. Yeah. No, everything's minimum two years. Doesn't matter what it is. Internet, phone, cell phone, everything is two years commitment. It's so ridiculous. Two years. Like, I don't even know what I'm going to be doing in two years. Like, uh, <laughs> just to think back of what has changed in the last two years. Like, how could you commit to something like that? That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, maybe you can borrow one or something. <laughs> yeah. I would love to chat a little bit about your involvement in Jupiter Broadcasting, too. Uh, I feel like the community some of us, um, have gotten a chance to meet you, which is always a treat. Um, I met you first, uh, at Linux Fest Northwest two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were kind enough to take me right in, uh, which was amazing. And we had a bit of an adventure, um, unlocking, oh, yeah. uh, one of our friends. Do you remember that? Albert? Yeah. <laughs> Albert's Albert. Unfortunately, he was great. He, he drove us to Costco to get a bunch of supplies, for the barbecue and Albert accidentally locked himself out of the, or locked us out of the car and you were kind enough to come and try to figure it out. It was, it was something I won't forget for a while. Yeah. I brought a Slim Jim or Slim Jim, a Jimmy. Um, but it didn't work. Cause of course he had the wrong year of vehicle. 
Right. But it was close. Anyways, um, uh, I just, you left a big splash on my experience, which was really great. Uh, and again, you know, this past Linux fest and again at the sprint. So, um, I know one thing you and I connect on quite a bit is food and we can certainly talk about that in a moment, but I just wanted to ask you a little bit about, um, cause you've been involved in Jupiter broadcasting from the very start. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that was? Because I know podcasting is not your standard, you know, form of employment, for instance, especially not back then. Uh, and a little bit how it's how it evolved for you. I, I guess I'm privileged a little bit that I get to see um, what you do on the back end of things, which is a heck of a lot. Um, it's I kind of consider you like the backend magic you're making sure all of the machines are all well connected and everything's getting out on time. And I don't think that it could happen without you. So, um, but back to my original question, just, um, how was it at the start and how is it now? And what's that contrast like? Uh, the first couple years, it was just kind of, uh, one of Chris's hobbies and, you know, we'd spitball ideas and it was, you know, mostly him, uh, Chris and Brian, working on Linux Action Show. Um, and obviously before that, it was like Cast a Blasta and a couple other things. We had Jeremy for a while as we brought Stoked on board, which is a fan favorite. And it's it's so funny. It's one of the most interesting shows that I think we've ever done because they did like six months of content without the game even released. Um, and the game, the game being Star Trek Online, but you know Chris is a diehard Star Trek fan. So my level of involvement was, you know, helping to build the studio. Chris uh, received the green screen the day that Dylan was born. Wow, yeah. that's interesting. So you won't forget that. <laughs> yeah. So our third bay garage uh, studio. That was Jupiter Broadcasting started the day Dylan was born. And from there, I was the sandwich runner. <laughs> I'd feed oh everybody that came over. And uh, we started dabbling in like other shows. Like uh, we had Lotso and Jupiter at Night and Morg, which I think I was, I needed more M's in that. It was M.M. Morg. <laughs> and then shortly thereafter, the birth uh, was the birth of the faux show, of course. If you haven't checked out the faux show, it's pretty epic and uh, no longer running. I don't mean to talk about it as if it still exists. And uh, let's see. So in 2009, we ended up forming Jupiter Broadcasting because we had gotten our first sponsor, GoDaddy. And, you know, so the government, of course, wanted their, their piece as they do. Yeah. We formed the corporation. I began managing um, kind of the back end stuff, basically everything financial and taxes and, and expenses and all that. And while doing, uh, well, being a mom and let's see, at that point, I was no longer, I was a stay at home mom at that point. And then just working a little bit on the books or anything that needed to be done for Jupiter Broadcasting. But once, but then I started doing FOSHO on a regular basis and, and it uh, kind of just bloomed from there. I began looking at different ways to get the audience more involved and, you know, everybody, it's, it's so interesting. A lot of the audience wants to 
you know, do what we do, which is great. And so they're, they were always asking for recommendations on, you know, what microphone should I get? What this, you know, a variety of, of questions. And so I began spinning up affiliate program stuff. And that actually really boosted our ability to produce high quality content. Um, you know, we were able to invest in a better camera and, you know, better lights and all sorts of things that we need that, that people don't realize, you know, uh, these days people think you can just buy a mic and, and a, have a computer and sit down and Bob's your uncle, but it's, it's just truly so much more than that. I got our affiliate revenue up a lot and that is right around the time. Hmm, there was some really interesting things that occurred. Like my sister had been renting the studio uh, what is the studio now? She had been renting it from me, and I was. This was in 2000. I had just gone back to work um, while still doing Jupiter Broadcasting stuff, including Fosho. Um, I went back to work because we were down on funds, and I told my sister, like, "Hey, if you're going to move out, you need to give me like a lot of notice because I'm pregnant, and you know I don't know how we're going to afford a second mortgage if you end up leaving and I can't find renters." And she's like, oh, no, dude, we're good. We're staying. And no kidding, three weeks later, she said, we're moving out in in um, December. And no. like mid-December. And that's like the worst time. No way. Yeah. Oh, no. Sisters are supposed to like have your back. I know. I know. But uh, so uh, through a series of events, um, I, I did get new renters, but they we ended up, I think they were there for about a year. And then it occurred to me, let's move the studio. Let's get it out of our you know, garage and bring it here. And then we can have a live-in editor, Rakai. Which is huge. I mean, you and I understand how important editors are to the whole process. Like the audience may hear the voices, but really all the magic is, is what the editors are doing. And, the, and there's so much that happens on the back end that makes this all possible, right? Yes, it's exactly the same, you know, potential misunderstanding of, you know, how simple it is to podcast. Editing is, is a fine art. <laughs> it is a fine art. So, um, so around that time that we were, uh, in order to afford to move operations to the studio, I came up with um, new logos through 99designs for Linux Action Show and Jupiter Broadcasting. And those two shirt campaigns netted $18,000. Wow. Which was a I'm lot. sure that was a massive boost for you guys at that time. Well, yeah. I mean, it was gone after the move to the studio, <laughs> like it basically took that much to, you know, put in the soundproofing and do all the things, you know? And so it, it was a huge move and, uh, you know, risky and, but it, it was, it was such a good move and it has, it continues to be a good location, um, an option for the studio. It's, uh, it's usually where we host after parties for Linux Fest Northwest and a few barbecues for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So fast forward, I ended up taking over the social media aspect at some point, which just made sense, right? Like uh, Chris had complained offhandedly, like, you know, I haven't even had a chance to even like, you know, promote Coda Radio on Facebook. And I'm like, whoa, what? Like, you're not even like telling people that the show's out, <laughs> you know, I'll do that. <laughs> 
I have no problem doing it. I had no idea that he wasn't getting around to that. And it makes sense because that's not the type of work that Chris, you know, accelerates at. Like he's, he's talent, but not, that's not his thing, but it's my thing. So I took over the social media aspect, um, while, you know, maintaining the books and all the ridiculous, you know, things that businesses have to go through and, um, and coordinating subcontractors and everything needed for that, um, since merging with Linux Academy, one of the, like, there's like two primary things that, that have made such a difference in my life. The first is not worrying about having money available to write paychecks. <laughs> what a relief, eh? Jeez. Right? It is. It is. I, I know, like, running your own business, that is one of the hats that you have to put on that is scary. Yeah. Yeah, no, it means everything else gets paid before you. You are the last to get paid. That that is how you that is how it should go. Um so yeah. So that is awesome and but then also you know when you're when you are working for a profit, you know, like when we were self-employed, when you are trying to find a and profit is a we would reinvest, right? It's not like we were like, oh, let's make as much money as possible. It was more like, let's improve by making this much more money. So when you are in a for-profit scenario, if it works, you don't fix it, you know? And after the merger, I was able to look back at, at those things that were never worth the time because it wasn't going to produce a dollar, and fix them. So a lot of my first, uh, you know, this last year, um, because it, uh, September 12th was the one year anniversary of announcing the merger. Um, I have worked really hard on, you know, YouTube playlists and um, having the, the right type of formatting for titles and, you know, fixing the back catalogs that have the wrong categories. So, you know, Linux Action News is showing up on Linux Unplugs page, you know, just a lot of details that contribute to a professional picture. You know, it, it we're just a much better, well-oiled machine now because I could pay attention to the details that weren't worth it when we were, you know, for-profit. Mm -hmm. And yet those details do make a difference, right? Like it's amazing how much of a team um, is required to make such an amazing polished product. Um, I get reminded that of that all the time. Like I get to sit here in this chair and record these great conversations here and I get to then hand it off to the team and mostly forget about it because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but the team you included, um, you know, take some of my words and polish it up and make sure it gets sent to all the right places and make sure that the audience, the community can get it where they expect it, when they expect it and all that beautiful stuff. And it's, so it's like, I think a bit of a challenge in that if it's working well, you don't even know that that team is there. Right. Um, and yet every single piece of it from the super detailed, like you're talking about all the way to the, the voices that you actually hear are an integral part. Um, and so I can see on a shoestring budget, um, when you're just building this thing and, and trying to make it sort of grow little by little, um, that having a little bit of a boost, um, can make all the difference. And it's, it's amazing where it's come in the last year or two. Um, and there's been some really cool projects coming out of that as well, that I think we're, we're all quite proud of really. 
Absolutely. Um, I've also began, or I've also been able to expand on the social media aspect. And then also, you know, I would pay attention to download numbers, but they, they weren't like overly important back then, but now they kind of um, represent our impact on the community. So I'm able, and I, I just, I love numbers. I don't love like QuickBooks numbers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there are different types of numbers. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm happy to be done with, you know, the accounting aspect. You know, I, I had 4.0s the whole year that I took accounting in college, but I don't care for it at all. But, you know, uh, doing the download statistics and, you know, just reporting on the health of the network. And that is, that is my bag. So I get to do that, which is very, it's, it's, I enjoy it. And if we were in the for-profit self-employed model, like, would it be worth it? No, probably not. It's not, you know, unless I'm trying to get another advertiser or sponsor, but we, we were really trying not to do that. We don't like to, we, we always try to consider the audience with any move that we do. So you mentioned the community there and, and keeping them in mind. Um, tell me a little bit about how conferences have been for you. Cause I imagine, you know, conferences has a, have a certain feel for the people who are going there, um, to check it out, like Linux Fest Northwest, for instance, right? Like you're pretty motivated if you, if you show up to start with, but was that always something that was interesting to you at first and, and what was connecting with the community in, in person like? Um, yeah, I, we've, I was going to Linux Fest Northwest before Jupiter Broadcasting was a thing. Really? Yeah. Jupiter Broadcasting, uh, like we've, we formed it in 2009. It technically started in 2006. I was going before that. Tell me more about that. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Well, so Chris and I met in high school when I was, um, 15 and we would go with his IT teacher, um, and, so it was like an almost yearly thing and it just kind of became our stomping grounds. And we have, I feel, been integral in getting more people to come to Linux Fest Northwest, even even those that would travel far to attend. You're responsible for me showing up, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it is. It's, it's so cool. Um, I don't go to many conferences because a lot of my position requires, um, or it's just, it's just not necessarily community facing. It's more back end. but I absolutely do Linux Fest every year. And just before Linux Fest this year, we acquired cheese bacon. It's amazing to have a graphic designer. When we hired him, like I was so excited because I had like done a, a mock interview with him a couple weeks prior and said, you know, Hey, would you be interested? These are the like areas where we're lacking right now, because I could quickly see that the responsibilities that I was given, uh, was going to be way too much. And I am not professional level graphic designer, um, for anybody that's been around, you've seen the graphics that, uh, that I've put together. They're not horrible, but they're, they're, pretty basic, you know, and cheese coming on, like as soon as he came on, I'm like, wow, I will never make a graphic again because like, well, one, he made a style guide and <laughs> I'm not even sure how to follow the style guide, but, uh, he's got it. He's nailing it. And it's so amazing. And then, you know, along with that, he took the swag component, which is such a relief because, you know, swag was one of my things, but it's so hard to keep up with that and social media and data download stuff and all the back end and coordination between the shows and 
I mean, like it's just and, and, and. And in this position of executive producer, I really do have to try to stay within my job description. I'm not self-employed anymore. Interesting, eh? So a transition of mentality for you in a way. It absolutely has been. Like I see something and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, I don't, you know, I don't like the phrase that's not in my job description, but I kind of have to do that or I'm going to step on people or make, you know, a, a poor choice. So it has been quite an adjustment. And I've had um, the help of Megan um, from Linux Academy to, to help me with that. And it's, it's been amazing. So, yeah, I would say like cheese is such a gift um, in that he is already a huge part of the community um, and has been for many, many years. And so he has this understanding of, you know, like take swag for example, like he has this understanding of what he would have loved to receive before he was sort of part of Jupiter Broadcasting, right? And so I feel like everything that he's made so far has been like really, really super well received from the telegram stickers to like the actual real stickers and some of the swag. And he's just so jazzed to do it. And I feel like we all really appreciate his involvement. It's been so sweet to have him really. Absolutely. Yeah, it feels to me like uh, Linux Fest Northwest is, um, well, I suppose I speak from personal experience, is a real like portal to the community from, you know, all year um, working behind the scenes like you are, but then you get to actually put people's names to faces, right? Which is always a special, uh, a special time. And I feel like um, I really got to learn about you and know more about you with Tech Talk Today. Um, which I really loved. I loved that show. I just have to say, um, and I loved your perspective there as well, because I feel like I'm less technical than most, uh, people who are generally involved in the Jupiter broadcasting community. Um, so hearing your perspective on that show was such a great thing for me. I was like, yes, I totally relate. So, um, when I finally got to meet you, I was like, oh, this is so fun. And then we connected on food and a whole bunch of other stuff like that. But tell me more about Tech Talk today. You, you seem to have gotten really excited there for a moment. Yeah, it, it was great. And I, you know, like I said, I've, I've learned a lot about technology and uh, just from knowing and being with Chris. But um, I do have sort of a, a, a basic understanding of a lot of things. <laughs> And as uh, I really just love this, Alan, Alan Jude referred to me as knowing enough to be dangerous and, and it's accurate. And, and it's the first thing that occurred to me as I was shooting the metal frames of the targets too. Like, <laughs> you know, my aim is just good enough to be dangerous. Well, what I appreciated about your perspective on Tech Talk today was that you were coming at it from the user's perspective. Yes. Um, like the end user instead of the person who's building it. Yes. Right? I am very good at end user perspective. Absolutely. Which is also like a really valuable perspective when you're sort of reviewing a service or asking questions about a new product or those kind of things. So um, was that fun for you to kind of voice that opinion? And did did people tend to um, connect with it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely was. And then I think, you know, I think a lot of people that had watched the faux show then also listened to Tech Talk today to get some ange. <laughs> and uh, so they kind of uh, knew who I was and where I where I came from and and what what my limitations are in in the tech field, but um, 
Yeah, I do feel like I ask pretty good questions and I try to understand things at a, at a level that can help break it down for people that may not be as technical. Mm-hmm. Which is so valuable, so valuable. I've, I've been told repeatedly that um, end users, um, you know, some of my family I'm referring to, I guess, and friends and things like that, there's this real skill in like, converting the knowledge that you have of how it works a little bit technically, but into the end user's perspective. And I feel like you bridge this really nice gap there. Yeah. And honestly, Chris is really good at that. That is one of, one of his uh, best features. And so between the two of us, like he can, he can understand my end user, more basic questions and be able to answer them. Like it's, it's just a good pairing in general. So I, I think that that show really did work really well for us. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and doing the Friday stream was really fun hearing you there. And, um, I know you're going to be on, uh, here and there throughout. So I am interested, uh, where you would like to send people, uh, if they want to get connected with you. Yeah. I'm on Twitter at Angers, A-N-G-E-R-Z. And I'm on Instagram at MomVault, M-O-M-V-A- U-L-T. And of course, uh, you can be found in the Jupiter Broadcasting Telegram group as well. Um, and I have a little bit of an ask for you. Um, is there anything that you would like our community to do or to share or check out or to think about? Yes, I would like to see what types of creativity things that the audience does. That's huge. Yeah. Link your podcast, link, you know, link your Artwork, yeah. Photography, whatever. That's it. Creativity is so everywhere. That's amazing. Uh, I love that ask. That's amazing. Um, especially that you kind of came came up with it. I don't know. I love that. Um, as you know, I'm I doing photography and stuff. Have some creativity in me. Um, I think it's sometimes squashed by the technical, but that's, that's really lovely and I appreciate that. So um, thanks so much for joining me uh, today and thank you so much for your time as well. <laughs>